0: Well, today we continue our series from the Old Testament. We are looking at those stories and events that radically change people's lives and sometimes history. There are events in our lives that change us. We are never the same. Sometimes it's a health issue. And that changes our lives. Certainly marriage would qualify as one of those events. We're never the same after we walk down the aisle and uh, exchange vows. Some of you young or guys are going to get married in the future, and uh, you're going to discover what a sorry job your mother did with you when she was raising you. It is going to be a life-changing event for you. And some of you girls are going to get married and discover that you are married to a man whose mother was a gourmet cook. She has all the recipes, will not share them with you, and you could not do it as effectively if you even had those. So, that's one of those life-changing events. There are some events in our lives that change things. Things are never the same again. Certainly, salvation would be one of them. As a boy, when I committed my life to Christ, I never dreamed the journey on which I would travel. Well, today we're going to look at the burning bush experience of Moses. Now, his life was never the same from this point. He went on to become the leader of Israel, the giver of the law, and he led Israel out of Egyptian bondage. So we look at the burning bush today. Take your Bibles turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Now, Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, Also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite. And the Hivite and the Jebusite. And now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Now, the story begins with God revealing his plan to Moses from the burning bush. It says to me in part that God is a planner, because He did have a plan. And in fact, the Scripture says that before the foundations of the world were laid, that God had planned our salvation. So then God has a plan for life. And He is able to get one's attention. In verse number 3, Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. Almost every Sunday, someone will come up to me and say, Did you get my message? And I may or may not have gotten the message. Well, I can assure you that Moses got God's message. The Lord has a way of getting our attention. For instance, with Jonah. When the Lord said to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and and preach there my message to the people. Well, Jonah was disobedient to the Lord. Instead, he got on a boat to go to Tarshish. And while he was on that boat, there was a great storm that came up. The Lord began to get his attention. And then later, when he ended up in the belly of the fish, the Lord had his attention. God is capable of getting one's attention. Paul was on the road to Damascus where he was going to arrest the Christians there. And on the journey to Damascus, the Lord struck him blind. God is able to get one's attention. You perhaps have heard the story about the flood that was in Louisiana. Because of the flood, they sent out rescue workers to evacuate the people. Well, they came to one house and an old fellow was up on the porch in his rocking chair. And those who had come to rescue the people said, the flood is going to get worse. You need to get in the boat and we'll rescue you. He said, no, I'm not going. He said, I'm a Christian and the Lord will take care of me. So after a while, they couldn't get him in the boat. They went on their way, and the floodwaters began to rise. The old fellow went up to the second floor of the house. He's up there looking through the window, and another group of rescuers came in a boat, and they yelled out and said, "Uh, You need to get in the boat because the waters are getting higher, and we have been sent to evacuate the people and to rescue you. The old fellow said, "Uh, No, he said, I'm a Christian, and the Lord is going to take care of me. Well, the waters continued to rise, and after a while, he's on the roof, and there was another group of guys who came in the boat, and they yelled out to him and said, We have come to rescue you. He said, Get in the boat. He said, uh, No. He said, I'm, I'm a Christian, and God is going to take care of me. Well, he drowned. So then he's before the Lord, and he says, God, I'm a Christian, and I thought you were going to take care of me. And the Lord said, I sent three boats. What did you want me to do? The Lord is able to get our attention. And when He gets our attention, then He reveals His plan. And we see that there in verse number 10. Therefore come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring My people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. God had His plan, and now that He reveals it to Moses, isn't it interesting that God had been involved in His life all along? When he was born, the decree had gone out from Pharaoh that all the male Hebrew children were to be killed. Well, his parents took him, put him in a basket, put him in the river. They hid him. They protected him. God was at work. Pharaoh's daughter came along, saw him in the water. She rescued him. She took him home and raised him. Now, when he was with Pharaoh's daughter, he was learning the ways of Egypt. Therefore, he would be able to relate to the Egyptians later. After that, then he went to the Hebrews and tended sheep, and he learned the way of the Hebrews. God had been working in his life all along, preparing him for this time. God has a plan for our lives. He has a plan for your life. And even when you don't understand the plan, He still has a plan. There was a man who was reading through one of the um, magazines, and he saw a birdhouse that was advertised in there that the parts and the plans would be sent for X number of dollars. And So he sent in his check to buy the birdhouse. He had wanted to build one. So he got the plans, but the problem was the people at the factory had made a mistake and sent him plans for a sailboat. So he gets all of the material and the plans and so forth, and he begins working on this birdhouse. And he worked on it, becoming increasingly frustrated, and then after a while he just gave up. He got all the materials, put them in the box, and shipped them back with a letter saying that uh, this birdhouse is awful. He said... No bird would live in this contraption. Well, they wrote him a letter back explaining that they had sent him the wrong plans. And they said, but if you think it was difficult for you, you should have seen the guy who was trying to sail your birdhouse. (laughs) So, God has a plan for your life. That's the point I want you to understand, folks, is that God has a plan for your life. And it is an enjoyable plan. It is a wonderful plan. Henry Ward Beecher said, The strength and the happiness of a man consist in finding out the way in which God is going and going in that way too. Do you want life that is meaningful? Do you want a life that is enjoyable? Well, then, my friend, you find God's plan for your life, and you're going to find that it is enjoyable. God reveals His plan, and then He extends an invitation to us. When God reveals His plan, He says, now then, I want you to partner with me. God has a plan for your life. He will reveal that plan to you, get your attention, and then invite you to join Him concerning that plan. Now, there's always a sense of urgency to the plan of God. Now, you'll notice there in verse number 10, Therefore come Now, Come now. There was that sense of urgency. When the Lord reveals His plan to your life, folks, there's always a sense of urgency about it. When Paul was on the road to Damascus and the Lord met him, changed his life, Paul responded to the urgency. And the Scripture says in Acts chapter 9, verse number 20, And immediately... Immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in synagogues saying, He is the Son of God. Paul met the Lord and immediately began to talk to people about Jesus. Now folks, at that time, he had not been through EE. He had not been through CWT. He didn't know the Roman road because he hadn't written it yet. But he began immediately to tell people what Jesus had done in his life. God's call is urgent. Now, listen to me. There's some of you who are not Christians. You might be good people, but you've never been born again. God calls you to salvation and you think, When I graduate... Then I'm going to get serious about spiritual things. When I get married, then I'm going to get serious about spiritual things. When we have children, then I'm going to get serious about spiritual things. When I'm more established in my career and profession, then I'm going to get serious about spiritual things. You know what the Bible says? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Folks, if you have never been born again, and you're thinking that down the road at this time that I'm going to get serious about the things of God, the Bible says that now is the day of salvation. This is the time. If God is speaking to your heart about doing something, now is the time to do it. There is always a sense of urgency about the things of God. And I also see in his call the sovereign hand of God. Verse number four. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. You see, God had selected him, not someone else. God was speaking to him. And as I looked, I also noticed that Moses was alone with God. That's not unusual. When the Lord wants to speak to someone, normally He gets that person alone so He can speak to that person. Isaiah went into the temple on that day to pray and spend time with the Lord, and there the Lord revealed Himself to him. And folks, the same thing is true with us. I know today that there are many of you, and you, you know, you lost an hour's sleep, and, and you're a little tired and all of that, but It's my belief that there are some of you and God is speaking to your heart. And you might be the only one. We talk sometimes about mass evangelism. There's no such thing as mass evangelism. God doesn't save groups. He saves individuals. He deals with individuals. And you might be the only person here today with whom the Lord is speaking. With whom the Lord is dealing. But in your spirit. You know that God is speaking to you. You see, God gets us alone and speaks to us, and He did with Moses. And Moses was overwhelmed, but he took it very seriously that God had spoken to him. Now, God invites, and then we hesitate. You'll see in chapter 4, verse number 10, that Moses did. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant." For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He said, uh, God, now, I mean, you understand this, that the Lord is speaking to him and saying, I want you to deliver my people. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses said, Lord, I have a speech impediment. I'm not a speaker. Maybe you were thinking of Aaron. Aaron's a good speaker. He's the one who speaks in our family, not me. So he said, I have a speech impediment. I don't have any authority. Why should Pharaoh listen to anything that I have to say? So he hesitates. Jeremiah hesitated when the Lord called him. The Lord called Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, I want you to go to the people of Israel and be my spokesman to them. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 6, Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. When the Lord called Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, "God, I can't do this. I'm just, I'm I'm a young person. I I can't do this. I'm supposed to do this, Lord, but I'm, I have no experience. I'm too young. I'm not able to." So there was that hesitation. See, he he was hesitating because he did not feel that. He was old enough to do so. Whenever the Lord called Jonah, Jonah said, Lord, I can't do that. You want me to go to Nineveh and speak for you there? I can't do that, he said, "uh, because I have a trip planned to Tarshish. Why do we hesitate when God calls us, when the Lord speaks to us? Why do we hesitate? Sometimes it's because of humility, genuine humility, I think. Now, I'm not talking about being humble as an excuse but genuinely hesitant because of humility. I, there are some of you in all honesty. Now, some of you will use it as an excuse, and others genuinely are responding out of humility. The Lord calls you to salvation, and, and you say, well, I can't do that because I can't live it. I, I don't think, and you can't live it. And if you wait until you can live it, then you'll never come to the Lord because it's supernatural. It's something that the, that the Lord does. But there are some who hesitate when God calls because you feel that you can't do what God is calling you to do. I understand that. I remember in the first church that I pastored, it was a small church. I'd gone back to school and so forth, and the Lord had put me there to pastor those people. And, and I remember struggling, literally struggling with it. I thought, who in the world am I to tell these people anything? They've been Christians longer than I've been alive. So, who am I to tell them anything? For some of you, it's because of a struggle with humility. And for some, it's genuine. For others, it's an excuse. Some people hesitate because they feel that they're already overloaded. I, Lord, I can't do that. I've got too much on my plate now. Moses could have said that. He could have said, Lord, I'm tending these sheep out here. I'm not going to be able to traipse around and deliver these sheep. I can't do that. I don't have to. And he oftentimes felt overloaded. Even when he was leading the Hebrews... Through the wilderness to the promised land, there were those times when he was overwhelmed. He felt overloaded. He was about to have a nervous breakdown. He said, God, if I'm going to have to do this the rest of my life, then just kill me now. I can't do it. I'm, I'm overloaded. Elijah felt that he was overloaded, had too much to do. And even though he had seen the miracle of God up on Mount Carmel, then we see him under the juniper tree and he's complaining to the Lord. He said, God, I'm the only one serving you now. You want me to do this? I'm the only one serving you now. The Lord said, well, you're really not. I have 7,000 you don't know anything about, but that's the way that Elijah felt, and maybe that's you. It could be that the Lord is calling some of you to service, but you're overwhelmed with what you're already doing. There's some of you young people, and God is calling you to serve in some capacity. Maybe it's to be a missionary, or maybe it's to do this or to do that. And you say, "Well, I've got school. I have all of these other things that I can't and I can't do that." You see, sometimes we hesitate because we feel overwhelmed or overworked already. We just can't put something else on our plate. But here's the thing: God promises His provision. My friend, God never asks us to do anything that He does not enable us to do. Here's our problem. When God calls us to something, we look at ourselves and we become fearful when we look at ourselves. Now, that was Moses. First of all, he felt inadequate. You see that in verse number 11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? He said, Lord, I am inadequate for the task to which you call me. Gideon felt the same way when the angel appeared to Gideon, said, Gideon, I want you to lead the the Hebrews against the Midianites. you remember Gideon's response? He said, Lord, I am from the least tribe in Israel. My family is the least in the tribe. And I am the least in my family. I am inadequate for the task to which you have called me. And some of you feel that way. Lord, I am inadequate. I know that when we are selecting deacons and I am interviewing those men who are being asked to consider serving as deacons, most of the time, as I talk with them, they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm really inadequate for this task. Which is an encouragement to me, because if they think they're adequate, they're usually going to be surprised. I'm inadequate. We fear we don't have the ability God calls you to do something. You say, I just don't have the ability. I know that that's my story. Um, I spend Saturday, as most of you know, preparing for this morning. And I write the sermon sometime before, but I spend Saturday in prayer and talking with the Lord and having my heart prepared. And then Sunday morning I get up here early. say you know Why? Because I recognize that I don't have the ability to do what God called me to do. I have no power. I don't have the ability to do what God is asking me to do, so I'm praying, God anoint me. Lord, if you don't anoint tomorrow, if the Holy Spirit does not do His work tomorrow, it's going to be a wasted hour. And so I know that many of you are praying. Many of you have prayed. But but there is that sense, Lord, I can't do what, what I'm supposed to do, and so I need you. And there's not anything wrong with that. It is a recognition of our dependence upon Him. But I do that. I go before the Lord just to acknowledge my need of Him and the need of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then our fear is overcome by faith in God. It's a blessing to me as I read this about Moses that every... Concern he had, God addressed. For instance, Moses said that he was inadequate. What did God say? Look at verse 12. And he said, Certainly, I will be with you. God said, Moses, I'm going to be with you. Moses said, Lord, I'm not, I can't do what you're asking me to do. And God said, That's okay because I'm going to be with you. Moses said, I have no authority in chapter 4, verse number 1. Moses answered and said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. What God said is, Moses, I'll provide miracles. If you're doing what I'm asking you to do, I'll provide miracles for you to accomplish it. Moses said, I don't have the ability in chapter 4, verse number 10. Moses said to the Lord, "I, I have never been eloquent, neither recently, nor in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to me. I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth, or who makes him dumb, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. God said, I'll give you the words to speak. Ladies and gentlemen, when God calls us, then He gives us assurance. What has He promised us? He's promised us power. He has promised us the power to do what He calls us to do. And though I am inadequate within myself, and I recognize that, the Bible says I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. He promises us power. He promises us His presence. He said, I'm with you always. He promises provision in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. You see, God provides what we need to respond positively to His call. And whatever it is that the Lord is calling you, God's promise is that He is going to provide what you need to fulfill what He has asked you to do. And then God's expectation is our commitment, and Moses committed himself to the Lord. He committed himself to the Lord. He delivered Israel out of bondage, and God's purpose was achieved. You see, the same thing with Isaiah. When Isaiah went into the temple on that day, he was somewhat traumatized, as were the people, because Uzziah the king had died. And they had a lot of confidence in Isaiah, And so he went into the temple to seek the Lord. And there the Lord spoke to him and asked the question. He said, I have some work to do. Who will I send? That was God's question to Isaiah. Who will I send? And Isaiah made a commitment to the Lord. He said, Here am I. Send me. You see, folks, God expects us to commit when He calls. And if God is calling you, then He expects commitment from you. Now, let me conclude. God has a plan for you, just as He did for Moses. I recommend God's plan. What I am doing in life is not at all what I had planned to do in life. I had other plans. I had other adventures planned. But I'm so grateful for the Lord and His persistence. I simply say to you, if God is calling you to anything, whatever He's calling you, and I believe that He calls all of us, whatever He is calling you, don't be scared of it. Because you are going to be pleased with it. And as you come to the end of life, let me tell you something. here's, Here's one of my goals that I made early on. That's because I went to funerals and I saw people who came to the end of life and they had a lot of regrets. And this was a commitment that I made back then when I was a young person. I want to come to the end of life. With as few regrets as possible. Now, the only way that you can do that is to decide when you're young that I'm going to live in such a way that I come to the end of life with few regrets as possible. So, God has a plan for you. Don't hesitate to accept it. If you're if you're not a if you have never committed your life to Christ, then today is the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. If God is calling you to something specific, and you know what it is, you sense what it is then don't hesitate, and God will enable you to do what He calls you to do. Erasmus and Luther both were concerned about the direction of the church and so forth. They had their responses to it. Alexander McLaren wrote, It was not Erasmus, the polished, learned, scintillating intellect of his time, who made Germany over, It was rough, rugged Martin Luther with a conviction and compassion as deep as life. I read that and I began to think about it. It seems to me that today we live in the day of Erasmus. We are paralyzed by analyzing everything, we are fearful as believers. We are fearful to step out, to believe God, to go forward, to be radical. We are fearful of that. And as I read that and thought about it, I thought, God, we may be living in the day of Erasmus, but give us a Luther. Could it be that God is speaking to your heart at this time to say, I can change your life and change this world? If you're willing to believe me and commit to me, what would God have you do? Our gracious Father and God, we come to a time of consideration and invitation. Lord, you know us, you know our hearts. And Father, I pray today that you will reach down and touch hearts, touch lives, and draw people unto yourself and enable them to do things they never dreamed of. I pray for old people that they'll dream dreams again. I pray for young people that they'll have visions. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come upon us in a powerful, dramatic way that we might hear your voice. And as Isaiah, we might respond, here am I, send me. For those who are not saved, Father, I pray that you'll draw them to to Jesus today that they might be saved. Lord, for those who are saved, I pray that they'll not just go through life. But Lord, they'll go through with the power of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit on them. And I pray, Father, that for some it'll begin at this invitation time. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation. But what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with His call on your life? If you're not a believer today, would you respond to Him, Lord, here am I? Would you commit your life to Him? If God is calling you to something, to church membership, to become a missionary, whatever it is, would you say, here am I, send me? Anyone? What's your response to the Lord? Stand with me, please, as the choir sings. You come, and I'll greet you as you do.